For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Hey, delightful Wednesday to you all. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's Fantasy NBA Today. I'm Dan Baspris, and this is a sports ethos presentation. It's the middle of the week. I have 100% lost track of how many weeks of the offseason it's been, but I do know that by the end of this week, we will be in the month of July. But more importantly, by Friday, it will be NBA free agency. Moratorium period. But that's okay. We hear about all the contracts. That's what's important. It doesn't actually matter. I mean, maybe one every like two to three years doesn't happen as reported when everything breaks. I know that so, uh, there are a couple of interesting names floating around right now. Freddie Van Vliet is maybe the one that feels most likely to change destinations. Nah, we'll see. We'll see. That's the beauty of it. You don't have that uh, Kawhi jet tracker thing going on with the free agent crop this year. But there are definitely some guys out there that can change teams' fortunes a little bit. I don't know about, like, somebody changes teams and they suddenly become championship contender. I guess the the note on that would tie in pretty well to what's going on on today's podcast, which is that we're going to be talking Philadelphia 76ers, a team that has a truckload of money locked up for this coming season. Now, that some of that is hinging on James Harden stuff. And then after this year... They've got, like, nothing on the books. Next year, they have Joel Embiid and probably Tyrese Maxey. And that's, like, the entire roster. Not this coming season, but the following one. A lot of that could change in the next two days if we find out Harden is actually staying in Philadelphia. Rumors breaking, of course, last month that he was strongly considering a return to Houston, which made sense for nobody. And then it seems like, I think Brian Windhorst was the uh, national reporter that talked about it earlier this week. He said, yeah, you know, all indications is that Harden is probably going back to Philadelphia. Now it seems more and more likely that he was using the Houston stuff to uh, try to leverage a little bit of salary. He took kind of a, I don't know, it's a hometown discount, but, you know, like a little prove-it discount in Philly. And then... I don't know. How did you guys all feel about Harden's season this year? Well, you know what? It doesn't matter. I, I mean, it does matter. Your opinion definitely does matter. But we're going to be talking about the, the 76ers on today's podcast. And we'll kind of have to take it in this sort of a road diverged thing where we have the two parallel universes. One where James Harden is back in Philadelphia and one where he's not. 
So, uh, again, welcome to the show. I'm at Dan Bespris on Twitter. If you guys want to hit me up over on social media, would certainly appreciate it if you did. Got some cool stuff going over on going on over on YouTube for our football guys this week. Tomorrow, they're having a draft guide launch party on YouTube where they'll be giving out their sleepers and free draft guides and other giveaways and things like that. So that's over at the Sports Ethos YouTube page. And then on Saturday, we're doing the... Uh, Basically, the first ever live mock draft on our Sports Ethos YouTube page, which I realize makes us extremely late to the party because that's something that other sports and fantasy websites have been doing on their YouTube page for years and years and years. And yes, we're finally getting into the mix on that. But I'm excited that we are because it gave me an opportunity to go design a graphic for it and uh, an opportunity to tell you all, kind of a little heads up here, I'm going to be doing a bunch of those during the NBA run-up, because I do a, a ton of those just to try to get sort of real ADP analyses, and people tend to abandon ship after four, five, six rounds of those mock drafts, but that's okay. That's the beauty of the live mock is that I can just shut it down when I'm no longer interested in it. So that's going to be a damn blast. I can't wait to do a bunch of those in September and October, like a lot, a lot, and they'll all be on our YouTube page. But the football guys are getting going on Saturday that, I believe, is at 11 a.m. Pacific time. The launch party is tomorrow afternoon. And then in between those two things, start of NBA free agency. Let's talk 76ers, though. This season was, by all accounts, a mixed bag, which I know is sort of a whack way to describe a team's year because it doesn't... Uh, it's just... it's You're not taking a stand. It's wishy-washy. But the 76ers' regular season was good. They went 54-28. and 28. Hard to argue with a team that's 26 games above 500. I mean, that's a good season. They had uh, the three best records in the NBA were actually all in the Eastern Conference. Didn't matter because you saw the Nuggets. They had that gigantic lead and then just kind of stopped playing for a while. Um, but for the 76ers, I mean, that's a good year. There were four back of the Bucks. Very much a title-contending level team. But we're also... Sort of, I'm seriously flawed. And it felt to me, and maybe I'm being unnecessarily cruel, but it felt like a big flaw with the 76ers is James Harden in the playoffs is extremely unpredictable. His big, big games, they beat the Celtics in that series. When he wasn't very good... They lost to the Celtics in that series. And then he went full disappearing act in the last couple of ball games, and so everybody wanted to kind of pin the 76ers series loss on James Harden. And fine, go ahead if you really want to do that. If Joel Embiid comes into that series healthy, I know the Sixers won the first game because the, Cel the Celtics were also kind of an unserious basketball team. They thought they could just go to the finals on talent, and then they, they ran into a Miami Heat team that was just out-executing them at almost every step. Still almost beat them because of a talent edge, but yeah, anyway. This is not about the Celtics. This is about the Sixers, who I thought played pretty damn hard in that series, were also a bit out-talented by the Boston Celtics. But the difference between the Heat, who ultimately beat the Celtics, and the Sixers, who didn't, is that the Sixers didn't execute at all those last two games, or certainly for the last game and a half. 
They didn't get Embiid involved late in game six, the one where, I mean, that was the one where they felt like they needed to win it. And then in game seven, uh, they just got stomped. They didn't even bother to show up in that one. So what do you do? Daryl Morey, what do you do? Your options are somewhat limited. If you let James Harden walk, you're still boasting a pretty damn expensive team. Joel Embiid is making $47 million this year. Tobias Harris is making $39 million this year, which there's all this Tobias Harris stuff going around over the last two days that you know he's come out swinging, saying the people of Philadelphia want to trade him for a crumble cookie. And that's now turned into a, hey, crumble cookies are delicious thing going on on Twitter, which is all very funny. But at the same time, I like Tobias Harris. I think he's a decent NBA player. He doesn't deserve $40 million. Yes, the rumors are true. The Sixers are definitely shopping Tobias, but I, I'm i not sure what they're going to get back for a Tobias Harris deal because, yes, it's an expiring contract. You're probably looking at unloading Harris and probably assets to go get some, I don't know, role players back that just sort of deepen your team a little bit. But I can't imagine there's a club out there that's like, oh yeah, give me Tobias Harris and a draft pick and we'll give you back this very good player. Because that team probably would rather keep that very good player. But I've, you know, crazy things come out of the blue. So that, look, don't listen to me when it comes to that type of stuff. There is a value in Tobias Harris's contract and it's basically that it's an expiring one. But other than that, you know, the lim- the options are going to be somewhat limited. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Harden, again, now with the expectation that he's back. That'll probably be a $40 million thing somewhere in that neck of the woods. So they're already in the $160 million range if Harden comes back. Because P.J. Tucker... He signed a three-year deal. He's making $11 million this season to go be sort of old and slow now. He's not the same P.J. Tucker he was back in the old days. And even then, it was sort of a little bit overblown. He was extremely useful in the right circumstance. I don't know that this team is the right circumstance. Well, whatever. It doesn't matter. De'Anthony Melton is arguably the best contract that the Sixers have. He's making just $8 million this year on an expiring. Uh, they'll probably want to bring him back the following season, but... He's going to make some money that year. Furkan Korkmaz, he's on an expiring $5 million deal. Daniel House, who cares? Montrez Harrell, player option for 2.7. I don't know that he's picked that up yet. 
doesn't matter. Uh, and then a bunch of, you know, random dudes came off the books. Sixers need to try to re-sign Shake Milton. I don't think that's happened yet either. So that'll bump the salary up a little bit even further. All that to say, if James Harden stays in Philadelphia, the season-over-season season analysis for the 76ers is strikingly similar. Strikingly similar. Joel Embiid is going to be the focal point on offense. Yeah, I mean, they can change some stuff around the edges and blah, blah, blah. Obviously, they've uh, made some changes at the top of the board, but I don't know that Nick Nurse... like. Okay, the one thing we know about Nick Nurse is that he's very crafty offensively. He can come up with some pretty damn good game plans, and he loves to play his regulars a truckload of minutes. But look at this team already. James Harden was playing 37 minutes a night. In the modern NBA, that's an absolute ton. Um, he's fifth in the NBA in minutes per game behind just Siakam, Freddie Van Fleet, not surprisingly, two Nick Nurshans, Kyrie Irving, and Jason Tatum, who, I mean, Tatum's been extremely durable for basically every season of his career besides COVID year when that knocked him out for a while. Uh, but the rest of these guys are, are like Nick Nurses and James Harden, basically. And then Kyrie, who's just such a weird test case for playing a ton of minutes, but also disappearing for 15, 20 games a year. Anyway, not the point. Uh, stay on point here, Dan. Stay on the damn topic. You jag. Figure it out. Uh, so back to James Harden and the Sixers at, at large. If Harden is still there, one would assume that Joel Embiid has a, as good a shot as any of being a top three per game fantasy play. I don't know where you change or improve him. It almost kind of feels like Embiid has nowhere to go but down. He played 66 out of 82 games. That's about as many as you can expect out of him. And I, like even Nick Nurse, how many more minutes than 34 and a half can you get out of that gigantic human being? You have to keep him healthy. Trying everything you can to, and he still missed time in the playoffs. What can you do differently? I, to me, all not all that much, although, you know, I guess what's more likely is that maybe less offense is initiated by Embiid, but that's also not great for them anyway. What about James Harden? Is there, again, assuming he stays, is there anywhere that he can go from here? Because Harden was number 17 on a per-game basis in nine category leagues, and yes, the 3.4 turnovers did play a role in that, but the rest of his stuff feels, I don't want to say immutable, but basically what you expected out of Harden or what anybody would have expected Maybe there was a, a fleeting, flitting hope that Harden could be more like his, uh, I don't know, like you go back towards the end of the Houston era and um, like the maybe the Russell Westbrook year where he was still taking 22 shots per game and 12 free throws. Yes, he was the number one guy on that team, but Westbrook was taking 22 and a half shots and seven free throws that year. And then, you know, like Eric Gordon took 13 shots. So from a makeup standpoint, like you could you could argue that maybe the 76ers left some possessions on the table this year. Tyrese Maxey took 15 shots a game, Tobias Harris 11. Uh, and then it sort of tapers off to mostly role-play fringe-type field goal attempt guys. My hope would be 
that what Nick Nurse brings to Philadelphia, if you're hoping, if you have, if you want to take the optimistic viewpoint on this, the optimist would say Nurse can get Philadelphia to increase their number of possessions per ball game. Sixers were pretty efficient, led largely, obviously, by Joel Embiid, but Tobias Harris shot 50%, and Maxey shot 48 And it wasn't like Tyrese Maxey was taking all outside shots either. He had averaged 2.73 pointers per game. So they were a pretty efficient team, very good foul shooting team as well. They got to the free throw line a lot between Embiid and Harden. And frankly, Maxey getting there three and a half to four times a game. Could you find a way to maybe get into your offense a little bit quicker? Get out and run a little bit more. Get guys like Maxey and Harris and frankly, even Harden looks in a more transition-y type of element, a quicker offense, as opposed to what they ran this year. And this is this is hyper-simplification, so not entirely accurate, and I get it. You can yell at me if you want. But if you're really going to sort of over, frankly, oversimplify the, the 76ers offense, it was either dump it into Embiid and slowly start your offense with Joel, either in the high post or the low post, Or James Harden walks it into the front court, calls for a screen, probably from Embiid, runs a pick and roll, and then you get into a rotation thing, and hopefully they get a shot four, five, six seconds down the line from that. They were using a lot of shot clock, getting good looks, mind you, but taking a long time to get there. In the regular season, and frankly, I would have thought that for Embiid at the very least, even in the postseason, that actually works. The postseason is a grindy type of basketball game, and it wasn't like the 76ers were a complete disaster in the playoffs. They just fell apart in the last game and a half of the semis against a a good Celtics team. Not a great one, but a very good one. They didn't lose to a bad team. They lost to a team that was unfocused, but I thought Philadelphia was almost equally unfocused. What about Tobias Harris? Now, he's a guy that if he does remain on the roster, he's a guy that I think could actually benefit from the Nick Nurse stuff. Just because, again, you're hoping that the tempo picks up. And a tempo pickup would be very good for Tobias Harris, who this year got off to an a an abrupt start to his fantasy year and then fell off the table as the season went on. So overall, Harris was number 60 on a per-game basis. But I think that does kind of cloud, I don't know, look at like first half, second half is probably the best way to do it. Second half of the season, Harris was number 102. First half, he was like number 30. Which one is he? Uh, Probably closer to second half to bias because it wasn't like his percentages changed all that much. His His usage changed a bunch. At the beginning of the year, he was involved. As the year went on, he sort of wasn't. Early in the year, he was taking 13 shots a game. Late in the year, he was taking 9.5 to 10.5. That's a huge, huge deal for a guy who's a positive in both percentages and a low turnover guy. So it wasn't like the ball was in his hands and mistakes were being made. Tobias Harris was quite literally a guy where if he touched it, there was a high likelihood it was going up 
as the season went on, he just didn't get to touch the basketball that much. Which is frustrating because, on the whole, he was the team's second most efficient scorer among the regulars. Ahead of Maxi, ahead of Harden. I know Harden did a lot of damage to the free throw lines. That kind of helps his numbers. And yes, you can't... That's comparing apples and oranges because Harden was largely creating and Tobias wasn't. But first half of the year, Tobias Harris averaged 17.6 rebounds, 1.6 defensive stats, and he shot 51% from the field on 13 attempts and 86% at the free throw line where he didn't get very often. But then as the season went on, his 16 points per game became 12. And you know me, I'm not a big points guy, but again, if you're going to be relying on your percentages to help carry your fantasy weight... You need to actually take attempts for those percentages to matter. Simple math edition here on Fantasy NBA Today. So the hope there is that what Nick Nurse does with this team is something that Doc Rivers never did, which was adjust. Sorry, Doc, you haven't made an adjustment ever? Doc Rivers has been wonderful for franchises that were going through some sort of tumult. He's like the, he's like the, the, uh, what's that, um, damn it. Our brand is chaos. What's that movie called? I think it's called Our Brand is Chaos or something like that. He's the guy you bring in to settle everything down. But when he hasn't had three Hall of Famers that can just be the team's guiding spirit on the court. It hasn't, it hasn't gotten there. He gets close, often, repeatedly. Now, with Nick Nurse, we saw him take the Raptors team all the way. I mean, there's so much luck involved in that stuff, but we've seen it too many times with Doc to chalk it up to luck at this point. So, playoff-wise, fine. Does Nick Nurse get him over the hump? We'll find out. He certainly feels like a Daryl Morey kind of head coach. Regular season, it's I have to believe that they pick up the speed a tiny bit. It wasn't like they were grindingly slow and hideous, because again, if you if you pile all the shot attempts together, it doesn't come out all that much lower than those Houston Harden teams. Uh, when Again, when you consider the fact that Tyrese Maxey is taking 16 shots per game, that's more than anybody, uh, way more than anybody on those Houston teams that wasn't Russ or Harden. And then Harris at 13 is pretty close to sort of like the... Eric Gordon equivalent. But again, you know, those Harden teams that were moving quickly, they had two guys taking 22 field goal attempts or more. That's 44 or 45, rounded up to 45. And then Gordon at 13 was like 58. So the top three guys were taking 58. The top three guys on the Sixers team were taking 51. And then Harris, fine, like, there's maybe a better split among who gets the field goal attempts on this club than there there was ever on those Houston teams because it was always Harden and then another guy and then everybody else. But I've got to think that even the tiniest uptick in speed helps Tobias Harris maybe more than anyone else on the roster because he needs both of those percentages to kick in and be useful. So can he be the first half top 35, top 30 Tobias Harris? Will he be the second half top 100? Uh, the, the, 
The reality is probably somewhere in between. And maybe he's more like a top 60 guy the entire season. Maybe there's a little bit more consistency from Tobias this year. And it'll depend on ADP, as always, if this is someone that we look back at. Because I faded Tobias this season after I'd been backing him for like four or five years in a row. You guys know he'd basically been the poster boy for the Dan Bespris old man squad for a long time. And uh, for the first time, frankly, since I think I've been doing this podcast, we were anti-Tobias. And anti-John Collins was another guy that we'd sort of been pro for a while. These guys that are good percentages dudes but just saw their roles looking murky. But I think his role perhaps levels off a little bit this coming season. You can see he's playing with a chip on his shoulder. And if he gets traded somewhere, maybe that role increases. It would seem like he's the kind of guy that would get moved to a worse team and get to do more, as opposed to a guy who moves to, what, another contender that also wants to move off of some other $40 million contract? I guess that's possible. But to me, it seems more probably, if you're worried about the trade element, I think he probably ends up in a better spot than he is in Philadelphia. So I don't know that that would really creep into my, my conscious as much as, well, maybe Nick Nurse doesn't really change his fortunes that much. To me, that's the other, that's the red flag with Harris is he just keeps on plodding along, taking only 10 shots a game and being a top 100 play. But if he's getting drafted at like 85 or 90, I think there's a, not a ton of room for him to fall from there. One, one and a half rounds, but a lot of room for growth. So we'll probably end up taking a look back at Harris this year. James Harden will probably get drafted towards the end of the first round. That's roughly where he belongs. He'll probably be a little bit back of that. But again, you're sort of, if you're taking him there, you're thinking, can Nick Nurse push him a tiny bit forward? Joel Embiid will obviously be drafted inside the top three, and that's where he belongs. Tyrese Maxey and DeAnthony Melton are the two other guys I want to talk about on the 76ers before we put a fork into today's episode. Melton, who, again, over the entire season was number 79, played in 77 ballgames, so extremely durable this year. That's the good news. By the way, that's also good news for Tobias Harris, who played in and has historically been quite durable. DeAnthony Melton was always one injury away from being very fantasy useful. There were stretches this year where the whole team was healthy. During those stretches, Melton was not a startable asset in basically any format. He was more like a top 140 or later play because his minutes were all over the map. He'd get 28 one night and then he'd get 14 the next. There was just no consistency to it because he was shoved out to the periphery. And even when he got to play, when the team was fully healthy, he didn't get to do anything. If you want to look at Melton's numbers when things were going well for him, it was basically when Maxi missed like two months. I don't even remember what was going on with him. Uh, but he missed a bunch of time. And so the first half of the season, Melton got like, 20-some-odd starts, I think, in a row, because Harden was also out early in the year, and then right when he came back, Maxi went down. And Melton really settled in as a starter, and he was a top 50 fantasy play during that stretch. It was glorious. 29 minutes a game. You know, his field goal attempts weren't that much higher. Like, only about one, one and a half more per game, but his steals were huge. He just, he found a role. He found a slot where he belonged. When the team got healthy, the drop-off was significant. 
If you are drafting DeAnthony Melton this year, you are doing so under the assumption that, well, look, if James Harden leaves, then obviously you're drafting DeAnthony Melton, then we'll, we'll go real high on him at that point. But if James Harden's there, you're drafting Melton with the assumption that either Maxi or Harden or Embiid will miss a game probably once a week, probably each of them. And so you get to start Melton like half the games during a season. That's pretty close to what it ended up being this year. And in those 40 games or whatever you get, if you want to take a more conservative estimate and say 25 or 30 games, it's kind of like what you were getting out of Tyus Jones last year. You're getting like a top 50 guy for 20 or 30 games, and then maybe you get top 50 for another 10 or 15, or maybe you don't, and either you're stashing at that point, it's a healthy stash, head-to-head, you just play it and hope that it evens out to what you got this year, which was that 70 range overall and durable, or on Roto, just tuck them at the end of your bench and make sure you're paying attention to the news leading up to every 76ers game all damn season long, and if somebody gets scratched late, you drop them into your lineup and use up a games cap. Cool. Okay, we're all agreed on that one. Tyrese Maxey. I felt like he was getting overdrafted this year. He finished the season strong, to his credit, but we had a number of guests on Fantasy NBA Today that were pretty high on Maxey, where, and I again, it's a tough job for me. I hope you guys feel for me in some small way when I'm, I'm trying to sort of toe dance around when I disagree with one of the guests, and maybe I should be a little bit more in their face. But last season, Maxie was number 57 on a per-game basis, largely because he was shooting 48.5% from the field on the year. In a season when most of the NBA was struggling mightily to hit their field goal tries. Remember that? That was super weird. It was, we had all these these sort of strange schedules from COVID where uh, the first COVID season, which where the shutdown, we had the playoffs that went basically through October, like baseball, and then the season started up two months later and everybody was exhausted, and then that one ran late because they started super late, they started in December, still got 72 games out of the regular season, so the playoffs started a month late, and that offseason was a month shorter because then it started on time last season and everybody was super tired because they had a another it was back to back shortened off seasons Tyrese Maxey was not impacted by that he shot 48 and a half percent when nobody else could make anything i mean just look at his teammates on the sixers uh Joel Embiid in particular shot 50% that year came back this season and shot 55 Everybody remembered how to shoot this year, but Maxie's field goal percent didn't change. And I looked at his number and I thought, I don't know where he goes from here. It felt like he had already kind of taken his big step forward. And that ended up being partially accurate. The injury stuff was was probably the biggest issue with Maxie. And his lower assist totals, not great because James Harden was around. But just from a like peripheral stats standpoint this year, Maxi was mostly better. He took 13 and a half shots per game last season when he made his big breakout jump into the top 60. This year he took 15 shots, shot 48% instead of 48 and a half, which is basically a wash, scored 20 points per game instead of 17 and a half, 
Hit 2.73s instead of 1.8. Rebounds were almost exactly the same. Assists were down by about one per game. Steals and blocks. Blocks were down, but they were unseasonably high the previous year. Either way, almost all of Maxi's numbers went up season over season. I guess playing time went down by like a minute and a half. But his rank went down from 57 to 78 because the rest of the NBA actually got better. Which is a fun little footnote because if Maxi stays the same season over season, there's a very real possibility that some of the players in front of him maybe had a better-than-expected shooting year, and they just fall back behind Maxi again. Because if Harden's there, well, Maxi probably doesn't change all that much. What I did like about Tyrese, if you're again looking at this season, is that he ramped up as the year went on. It wasn't hyper-significant ramp-up, but the final 20 games or so, he was inside the top 40. Shot 53% from the field over that stretch. That probably won't stick. 94% at the free throw line over that stretch. That won't stick. But, you know, anything better than, than 47, 48 is an opportunity for him to kind of move up the board a little. And so there is, I don't know if you want to call it a post-hype season, because are people annoyed with Maxi's year? Possibly. It's hard to tell. Do people remember the beginning of the year where he started very slowly and got hurt and missed a month and a half and came back slowly? Or do people remember the last 20 games where he was actually really good? I don't know. He got drafted near 50-55 this year with the expectation he would jump a little bit farther forward. If he falls, to me, into the 60s this year, he becomes someone that I would probably look at. And then, you again, we have to factor in what, if anything, does Nick Nurse do to his numbers? And I would hope that it would help. If it's just a pace thing, it should help. Now, very quickly now towards the end of the podcast here, what do you do if Harden leaves? Well, presumably the Sixers would go and get somebody, but it probably wouldn't be a somebody who handles the basketball as much as James Harden does. So in that case, DeAnthony Melton, huge jump forward. Huge jump forward. He's someone that I would target at probably 80 even if Harden's gone. Maybe even sooner, although you don't want to wipe out all the value. Tyrese Maxey is almost a lock to be a top 40 play if Harden's not around. I, you know, could Joel Embiid do more than he was? I guess you could see him get up to 21 shots and 12 free throws, a la James Harden in Houston. Cool. You know, does he then pass Jokic for the number one per game slot? I don't know. Tobias Harris unquestionably gets more than nine shots per game, which is what he was taking down the stretch. Yikes. That probably jumps back up into the 13-14 range. I mean, it's just like everybody gets this flying leap forward. But again, with the Windhorst report, we're going to go ahead and assume that Harden is back, and we will operate as such. Friends, take a look once again at the NFL Fantasy Pass, available now at sportsethos.com or the All Sport Fantasy Pass, which will have all of our amazing NBA content in it. Available for just $7 a month for now. It's going up to $10 a month in the month of July, which is just three days away. We don't know exactly what day it's going up to $10 a month in July, but it's the day that NBA draft content starts to appear here at sportsethos.com. So make sure to check out one of those memberships now. The beauty of those memberships, 
both the NFL Fantasy Pass solo or the All Sport one is that if you get it now and you do not turn it off, you keep that price forever. 15 years from now, the All Sport Fantasy Pass is probably going to be like $30 a month. You'll still be paying seven. Just don't turn it off. That's it. Ethos Fantasy BK, Ethos Fantasy FB. Make sure to check out the YouTube feed, as I mentioned at the front end of the podcast, to see some of our very cool NFL stuff as it gets rolling. Excited for those dudes. Anywho, for now, we are done. Tomorrow, free agency. It's late, though. So uh, maybe we'll do... I think what I'll probably try to do tomorrow, time permitting, is knock out a team in the morning... Because the Lakers are next. Ooh, the Lakers. And then later on in the day, maybe we'll do some breaking stuff on YouTube. We'll see. That's what I'd like to do. Child care coverage hanging in the balance. All right. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.